He began a career in journalism as an employee of a radio station not far from the state capitol, itself not far from a prominent state university, and that's a part of Bill Moyer's history we find especially encouraging here at KDVS. Mr. Moyers went on to serve as a public official and journalist. He was deputy director of the Peace Corps under JFK and an aide to Senator and later President Lyndon Baines Johnson. Bill Moyers was, in fact, LBJ's White House press secretary for two years. His journalism and documentaries have won him numerous Peabody Awards and Emmys and the especially prestigious Golden Baton from Columbia University for landmark work on public television. Currently, he serves as the host of Now with Bill Moyers. We have read his latest book and can recommend that you, too, obtain a copy of Moyers on America, A Journalist and His Time. And we're honored to have him speak with us today about his work and latest book. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Bill Moyers. Thank you, Doug. I'm glad to be with you. My favorite section of your book is Part 3, The Media. You Uh noted an example of what passes for journalism these days that uh, sums up uh, our current sorry state. Could you talk about the, quote, news item, unquote, of an incident at the Santa Monica Pier that stood out to you? Oh, yes. This was a number of years ago. This crossed my desk. It was a little story about a man who had drowned off the pier there. And so the the, the, the press rushed in to, to cover it and, uh, and wrote a lot of stories about it. But it uh, turned out to be more about the, uh, the celebrity. I forget who it was at the moment. Michael my, Jackson's my plastic <laughs> surgeon, right? Yes. <laughs> the Associated Press story. Here's the lead exactly as it was written. Quote, Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon jumped into the ocean to save a suicidal man earlier today as Hollywood Madam Heidi Flies called 9-11 for help. And I thought I was reading a joke at first, something the editors of, beg your pardon, the college satire magazine uh-huh. might have cooked up. Uh-huh. But then I read on, and uh, it mentioned four people in the lead. One, the pop star Michael Jackson. He had absolutely nothing to do with the episode and wasn't even at the scene. But his plastic surgeon happened to be attending a party nearby that was also attended by, by Heidi Fleiss, the Hollywood prostitute who called herself, who herself became a celebrity mm-hmm. when she was convicted of running a call girl ring. She's just a bystander in the story, and all she does is punch in three digits on a telephone number to get the 9-11 people there. But like Michael Jackson, she gets her name mentioned because she's famous. Further on down the story is the man who leaped in to pull off, pull off the rescue he doesn't give it his, even get his own name into the lead. Yeah. And wholly lost in the shovel, never named, is the real protagonist of the story, the poor man down there in the water, the victim himself, who, as I say in the book, isn't identified at all. Now, it, you know, here, one more hapless joke, you citizen, whose story wouldn't even matter to the media at all unless it could be tied to some celebrity. And I have on my desk here right now, Doug, a study done by the Project for Excellence in Journalism, mm-hmm. funded by the Pew Foundation, which says that between 1977 and 1997, the number of stories in the mainstream media about celebrities increased from the one in 50 to mm-hmm. one in 14. I mean, right. we are so obsessed with celebrities, yes. trivia, nonsense, where we can no longer get to the serious news. Well, allow me to insert a very funny quote you have in your book from George Bernard Shaw. Journalists are unable, seemingly, to distinguish between a bicycle accident and the collapse of civilization. <laughs> <laughs> you know, humor, human interest and stories like this have always been a part of journalism. But, but what's happened today is, I have a friend, a fellow journalist named Richard Reeves, who wrote some marvelous books about Kennedy and Nixon. And there was for a long time a, a, a celebrated writer here in, in New York. A student once asked him, what's your definition of, of real news? And he says, 
Real news is the information you and I need to keep our freedom. And, and that's the kind of news we're not getting today because so much ownership of the, uh, of the journalism outlets is in the hands of mega corporations making mega mergers in search of mega profits. And, you know, these mergers are not motivated by any impulse to improve news reporting. Right. They're done to boost the stock or the personal wealth of the executives. And two-thirds of today's newspaper markets or monopolies. I've got a section in the book talking about how independent newspapers are being gobbled up around the country, and the bottom line is that they cut the news coverage, cut the number of journalists working for them, and cut the news hole so that you've got a paper in Cumberland, Maryland, whose police reporter is given so many other assignments. He can't afford to, he doesn't have time to go to the police station to pick up the blotter of the day, the news of crime of the day. So what does the publisher do? He provides a fax machine to the police station to fax over to the newspaper the news the police think think ought to be in the paper that day. You're certainly not going to get any stories of, of police brutality right. sent over voluntarily, are you? Right. No, not not a good trend. <laughs> no. well, we did see outrage in the country last year at Michael Powell's FCC ruling on media consolidation. I was rather startled to see uh, something you quoted in the book, uh, Michael Eisner, noting he didn't even want ABC to cover parent company Disney. That's, that, that's the conundrum. You know, the, the, as, as fewer and fewer companies own more and more of the outlets, uh, you, 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 these are big companies that have dealings with the government. They want benefits from the government. They want favors from the government, like the Telecommunications Act of 1996, uh, which took the lid off of how large a company can come and allow this clear channel, for example, to gobble up radio stations around the country. They're not going to... You think General Electric, which owns NBC, MSNBC, and CNBC, wants its journalists for those news organizations reporting on the defense contracts that the Pentagon gives to General Electric? Not on your life. Yeah. Uh, so, so Eisner says when Disney buys ABC, I don't want ABC covering Disney. Sure. Care to say a sentence or two about the whole Disney versus Michael Moore, your fellow documentarian, uh, what's going on there? Oh, I think Michael Moore has uh, benefited enormously from the publicity and attention that's True. been attracted True. by Disney's decision not to distribute. I do think Disney, uh, this is my deductive reasoning on the basis of what I've read, I do think Disney did not want to proceed with the film because it is so political, and they did not want to offend uh, the conservatives who... Who, who 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 like Disney, who, who go to Disney movies, and also because Disney has some very important uh, relationships with the government in Florida, uh, led by Governor Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, but I think it actually has benefited to uh, to to the credit to benefited the Michael Moore and Miramax because yeah. they've had so much publicity. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that, as I'm sure you are as well. Um, there are some interest, speaking of offending people, who would like to silence you at PBS. Could you comment on the article in The New Yorker currently on efforts at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting that's pushing for a supposedly more, quote, balanced, unquote, perspective? Well, the, uh, the, the White House has put some very big Republican fundraisers on the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which is the, supposed to be the heat shield for those of us who work in public broadcasting. Um, and uh, it's got a very conservative uh, chairman uh, of, of the board now who used to be a editor at Reader's Digest, is a, is, 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 is a Republican, and, uh, and uh, they have not liked some of the hard reporting that uh, 
my, my weekly broadcast has done on corporate influence in Washington, the influence of, uh, of corporations on the administration's environmental policies, the, 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 the stories we've done over and again about secrecy in government. And you, know, you mentioned that FCC uh, decision last year and the uprising of people around the country to, to, to resist the FCC's efforts to allow greater media uh, conglomeration. Well, my broadcast every Friday night was the one that was most consistently reporting on, on what the FCC was doing and, and the powers that be in, in, in Washington, very close to the media companies, very close to the White House. The White House controls the FCC majority. Uh, they, they didn't like that. Uh, and so uh, they, they protested. They grumbled. Uh, PBS did not bow to the pressure. PBS remained very supportive of me. But now the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, led by uh, right-wing uh, Republicans, is insisting that there be some, they're funding some new shows involving conservative uh, hosts. And right. I, I said in that New Yorker piece, this is the first time in my 33 years history in, 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 in public broadcasting that programs have been ordered up for ideological rather than journalistic reasons. It's a terrible thing. Um, you, you're openly critical of the current administration in the book. You, you agree with John Dean, who we were fortunate to speak to on this show, that this is a dangerously secretive presidency. You explain how... Um, the circling of the wagons and exclusion of contrary ideas led to the Vietnam debacle. You saw that firsthand. Are you, in your opinion, are we headed for this uh, with Iraq? We were. The press was so deeply embedded in the official view of reality and the path to the war that you had the New York Times, for example, being used by propagandists for the administration and by this guy Shalabi to disseminate the false information about weapons of mass de- destruction. The press was so embedded in the path to war and in the conduct of the war that it got burned. It was too it was too much on the side of the official view of reality. And there's been a backlash to that now. And finally, we're getting from mainstream press stories about the facts on the ground, what's really happening there. But yes, the, the, particularly because of the war on terror, people seem to be tolerant of more secrecy in order to appear to be safer. And they're willing to trust the government more than we should ever trust uh, a, a, a government. And this administration is using the war on terror to make it harder to file freedom of information uh, uh, proposals, making it harder to, uh, easier to classify documents. Last year, the administration classified 14 million uh, national security documents. That was almost double what it was from three years ago. So yes, the, the, as John Dean says in his book, uh, and remember, John Dean was the counsel to Richard Nixon. He blew the whistle on Watergate, testified, uh, helped to bring down the, 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 the Nixon presidency. John Dean says in his new book, said on my show, said on your show, that this is worse than Watergate. I think it is. It's certainly worse than, than the Johnson era. I mean, Lyndon Johnson uh, uh, berated the press. He scolded the press. He raged at the press. But he spent more time with reporters than anybody I knew. And when he had the chance to impose official secrecy in Vietnam, to stop reporters from going out into the field, he didn't do so. Uh, that's the big difference today. Right. You have quite a sidebar in your book on the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, can you just give us a word or two about the FOIA? The Freedom of Information Act was, was enacted back in 1967, thanks, 66, thanks to the courageous uh, efforts of a congressman from uh, California named John Moss. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was president at the time, and he, and he didn't want to sign it. Uh, he didn't. He, he didn't like journalists foraging around in the, in the, in the, in the closets of government or, or hustling his priorities. But he did sign it because he knew 
he had to. He he heard from editors all over the country who saying we need the Freedom of Information Act. The Freedom of Information Act is supposed to guarantee that journalists, historians, and members of the public have access to public documents that uh, that would otherwise be kept permanently uh, secret. This administration is is going all out to eviscerate the Freedom of Information Act. I've never seen anything uh, like it. Even the original Freedom of Information Act uh, didn't open everything to, 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 to the public, but it opened enough to be encouraging. You know, it's, it's always a, a fight to find out what the government doesn't want us to know. Somebody asked me not long ago, what's your definition of news? And I said, news is what people want to keep hidden. Everything else is publicity. Right. So the government wants us to publish their press releases but, and their official statements, but they don't want us to find out what, what is going on. And, and George W. Bush has clamped a lid on public access across the, the board, so much so that a, that a group of journalists and historians uh, uh, have, have actually challenged the Bush uh, secrecy in, 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 in court. Now, the government, the administration says, well, this is national security. But, you know, keeping us from finding out about the possibility of accidents at chemical plants is not about national security. Right. It's about covering up an industry's indiscretions. Locking up the secrets of those Cheney meetings with energy executives is not about national security. It's about hiding the confidential memorandum sent to the White House by ExxonMobil showing the influence of oil companies on the administration's policy on global warming. We only learned about that, by the way, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. But right. They're making it harder and harder. Well, I know we got to close. We'd like to thank you, uh, Mr. Morris, for this for this book. Uh, you, you quote Danny Schechter uh, in the book saying that we need to engage the, the mainstream of the media in this country. Uh, we'd note that, uh, that we're trying to, to, to follow um, your call for this. I'm a physician. My producer's a musician. We decided to... Uh, to get involved producing public affairs uh, programming for this community station. And with 10,000 watts, we're able to get uh, quite, quite a coverage, and we're, we're glad to be able to, um, to put you out uh, to Northern I take California. Heart from exactly what you're doing, and we've got to protect your right to do so. We've got to protect the Internet from being owned by these same few companies that dominate broadcasting, radio, and television. So good luck to you, Doug. Well, thank you so much, and we, we hope we may speak with you again sometime. Anytime. Let me know. We're honored. We are so grateful to have been able to bring you Bill Moyers on this program. To quote from the web, In his speeches, Mr. Moyers provides his perspective on the myriad of of cultural and historical forces that shape our national consciousness around health, spirit, and social interaction. Through words and images, he explores the humanist side of government and social institutions and inspires us to explore these layers of our national culture. Bill Moyers' National News Magazine, Now with Bill Moyers, can be seen at 9 p.m. every Friday on PBS. We're grateful for the time that we had with Bill Moyers, but if we'd had a little bit more, I would have asked him about an essay in A Journalist in His Times, where Moyers mentions the fact that Lyndon Johnson was embarking on uh, an effort, a crusade really, for civil rights, was asked during a press conference why he had never shown much passion for civil rights before, but was doing so now. Johnson answered that, Most of us don't get a chance to correct the mistakes of our youth, but that he now did have that chance and he was going to take advantage of it. That's something that Bill Moyers finds very admirable, and I think we all should as well. 
it's hard to understand this now. Uh, it's true that uh, that when Lyndon Baines Johnson came to power, America was a segregated country, and it wasn't when he left. And I don't think I'm that old, but I can certainly remember when, if you were a politician from the South, you were pretty much, by definition, a segregationist. The civil rights struggle has been a long battle. In fact, uh, this week marks the 40th anniversary of the murder in Mississippi of three civil rights workers. It was later the basis for the movie Mississippi Burning, which I must mention in an aside, makes the FBI look a lot better than they deserve in terms of their actions towards civil rights, at least as things stood in 1964. But uh, this country owes a debt to people like uh, Mr. Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner, who gave their lives for the civil rights efforts uh, 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, Bill Moyers was part of that administration, and you can say what you want about Lyndon Johnson, but uh, he certainly did do wonders for civil rights in this country. And if we get a chance to speak with Mr. Moyers again, I hope he'll tell us about that administration in which he played a key role. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM. Let's take a short break.